Hey there, and welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast. My name is Hank, the digital pastor here at the Foundry Church. We just want to welcome you, whether you are a longtime member of the Foundry family community, if you're brand new checking us out, if you've been a Christian for a long time, or you're someone that's just starting to discover or rediscover what Christianity means to you, we're so glad that you are a part of this, of our community, and are able to join us today. Our series that we find ourselves in in this season is a series called Dive. We're diving into some really specific words and thoughts uh, of the Bible in their original language, original context, to discover their meaning and what they mean to our lives today. It's going to be exciting if you love word study, if you love understanding what it is that the text really means. Uh, We're really excited to be bringing you this topic and, and diving deeper into some of these themes. It's going to be really exciting. So our preaching team is so so excited that you are here, so excited to be able to bring you this message today, and thanks again for checking us out here on our podcast. We love you guys, so grateful for you, and enjoy our message today. Good morning. Nailed it. The microphone is on, he hit the timing cue, everything is working out. Welcome, I'm so very glad you're here, whether you're joining us in person or online. This is The Foundry. My name is Seth, and we are all about a better you and a better world. We are in week 10 of our series that we're calling Dive. Today is our last and final week in this series. What we've been doing is diving into specific words found within the Bible and then trying to uncover and expand and find all these connections and see how that applies to our life and to our faith. So it's been, I think it's been pretty good. Today is our last week. Next week, oh, okay. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so grateful that I could share with you other people's work. Um, So uh, next week we begin a brand new series that we're calling Life After Death. Yeah, but it's not about like heaven or eternity actually. It's about like dying to the self now so that we can have the fullness of life now. So it's life after the death of self. So I'm actually really excited for it. I hope that you'll make plans to be here, whether you're in line, online, on the line, or in person, uh, and uh, we'll get that going next week. So last week, we talked about this word for witness, which is the word martus. This week, as we wrap up, we're going to talk about the word for joy, and let's take a look at what the Bible Project people have to say about joy. Being in a good mood is really great, and most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on. The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words, like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphrasune, or agaliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. Now, what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. And so naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or an abundant harvest on the hills. The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. People find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings to your heart. 
However, human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. Later, biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story, when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, When people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the Apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy, even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith, or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's Spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus, that his loss wouldn't be the final word. This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus's own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about. All right, so they start with this idea that there's a lot of different words in both languages that are all very similar and how they all basically kind of mean the same thing, happiness and joy. But what they said that I thought was interesting here is that joy is a key theme that runs throughout the Bible. And then they said that this, like the Christian perspective on joy actually gives kind of a bit of a unique way to look at it, the biblical faith. It says, joy is an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So it's an attitude that we adopt, not because of circumstantial things that are happening to us, but 
because of the hope and promises of God. And then they give this positive things, that, that they give us examples that bring joy, like growing your flocks, which I'm sure you all relate to, you've experienced that happiness. They talk about like, like, like having this great harvest, they talked about a good bottle of wine, which I actually think you may have experienced. Talked about having some good friends, the joy that we find at weddings, the joy that we find in our children. All these things that great, give us a great deal of joy. They're all good. They all fill the heart. They're all awesome. They're all kinds of things that stir the spirit in the best of ways. Then they also point out that after the Hebrew people come out of slavery, they go into the desert and they sing this song of joy. They sing this song of joy even though they're in the desert, even though they're vulnerable, and even though they're like a long way from the promised land. They adopted this attitude of joy, not because of the circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and God's promises. And then they said that joy in the wilderness that they experienced, that they put forth, was a defining moment. The joy of God's people in in the wilderness was not determined by, by their struggles. Their joy wasn't determined by their struggles. It was determined by their future destiny. This is way more difficult, isn't it, by the way, to find joy in the wilderness to find joy in the struggles, to find joy when the happiness is missing. It's easier to find joy in the good. It's not so easy to find joy in the absence of the good, which actually then becomes like maybe the reason we even have faith, which becomes like the benefit to believing in God's love and promises that even in the wilderness, we may find joy. I thought of a simple way that we can think of this uh, at least that was helpful to me this week. It's like, uh, it's like the difference between watermelons and satellites. It's the difference between watermelons and satellites. Uh, I have two photos that will help explain this, and hopefully these will be good pictures for you. So this is the first photo. Uh, this is um, from earlier, uh, was it last week? If you can see it, uh, this is a, our very first watermelon that we picked. This, this season, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's called a Stars and Stripes watermelon, so it doesn't have, uh, not Stars and Stripes, it's a very patriotic watermelon. Uh, moon and Stars is what it's called. <laughs> it doesn't have stripes. That's, it has these like little dots and shapes. It's really kind of cool looking, it's very, very neat. Uh, and so we planted this a while ago, and then we finally got to pick it, and we, we got to experience the joy of harvesting this watermelon. Now. This thing, I don't know why it took so long. Normally, it takes between 80 and 100 days for a watermelon to get to the point of harvest, right? So I planted at the end of February. We're now at the end of July. So this one's taken like 150 days. So I'm like way behind on it. That, that's like a whole nother lesson there, like when things don't go the way that you want it to, like according to plans. But when I look at this, this to me, it was a very joyful moment for our family, Right? We, we did something. We planted this seed. We, we took care of this plant. The vines grew, and then it grew a baby melon, and that baby melon grew into this monster-sized melon, and it's awesome. It's a positive thing. It's a good thing, and along with my efforts, my abilities, came this deep sense of joy. It was a joy that was based on a happy circumstance, something that I experienced. It's easy to have joy in these types of moments, especially when you got your kids being ridiculous. Like, that's a fun... That's a, that's a good thing. That's a joyful moment for our family. It's, things, it's so much harder to have joy in the difficulty. It's easy to have joy in the watermelon moments. It's easy to have joy when, when you experience some sort of happiness because of a, of a particular thing that you're going through. The harder thing 
But also the much more needed thing is finding the joy in the satellite moments. So here's a picture, picture number two. This is our sweet little um, doggy, Mr. Jackson Michael Storm. Um, and uh, this is from a, a, several months ago. Uh, one particular evening, uh, I let him outside to do his thing. You know, like we have our routine, like when it's time for bed, we, we get up, I open the door, he goes, does his things, I brush the teeth, get the coffee ready, all that stuff. And normally by the time with my stuff, he comes back into the door and then he gets in his bed and we all have a good night. Well, one particular evening, he didn't come back. And so, like, I walked outside, and I went to holler for him and look for him and whistle for him, and I'm getting a bit frustrated, so I wait a little bit longer. I eventually drive up and down our road, like, looking for him, and then after about an hour, like, I quit. <laughs> I quit, because here's the thing. I don't know if you could tell, but based on the coloration of his coat, he's like, like a ninja, right? Like, you can't, you can't see this dog, and especially in our area, we don't have street lights, so unless the moon is out, you, you have no light, and the moon was not out. So how do you find a shadow in the darkness? It's very difficult. So I said, well, good luck, son. I'll see you in the morning. So I go to bed. I wake up the next morning, get my coffee. I open the front door. Guess who's on the front porch? Mr. Jackson Michael Storm, except he's a bit beat up. Like, he's actually really beat up. We think he got in a fight with the neighbor dogs, with, the neighbor, with the, some dogs down the road. And uh, he, we had to take him to the vet. He had to get stitches, had to have, like, some like, surgery thing, whatever. And, you know, like, my father-in-law was like, you're paying to give the dog surgery? I'm like, yeah, he's part of the family. Like, I kind of got to do that. You know what I'm saying? So they give him this cone, but it's a cone that's so large that they call it a satellite that's how big this thing is. He could barely fit into the car. He could barely fit in the tour. He hated, hated, hated this satellite, right? He would get stuck in places. He would walk into things. He kept trying to like get under the table. He couldn't make it. He was trying to rip it off, poor little guy. In the first couple of days, like Jackson was a bit, he was a bit lethargic. He, did, he wasn't moving around a, little, a, a whole lot. And he was really upset about the satellite around his, <laughs> around his neck. But after a couple of days, as he began to recover, He'd be moping around, wearing his satellite, and, and if I called his name, hey, Jackson, hey, Jackson, or if I pet under his chin, who's oh, a good boy, or if I gave him a treat, he would begin to wag his tail just a little bit. It wasn't the normal wag. It wasn't the propeller wag that, like, takes stuff off the table and breaks human shins. It was, like, this much more subtle and subdued wag, but it was a wag nonetheless. Even though he went through this pretty terrible experience, even though he had to wear this thing that was so big that they call it a satellite, he still managed to wag his tail. I think this is a picture of the unique perspective that the Bible gives us on this thing we call joy. That yes, we may be in a satellite moment, but we still wag the tail. It might not be as energetically, it might not be as vigorously, but we still wag. It's like Psalms 30 says, though the sorrow may last through the night, the joy comes in the morning. The watermelon moments are easy. They're easy places to find joy. It's the satellite moments that are a lot more difficult, where finding the joy is harder. But these are the moments that we need it all the more, aren't they? And here's the thing. We all have satellite moments, don't we? We all have moments of hurt and pain and despair, where things seem to be falling apart, 
This past week for me has been a bit of a satellite moment. What I told my wife, uh, like, I feel it just feels low. I feel like I'm in this low moment. And it wasn't like one specific thing. It was like a bunch of various things that were just kind of piling up, piling up, piling up. And I just, it had drained, it had drained me. In our production meeting on Tuesday, Joe said, so Seth, what are we talking about this week? And I said, ugh, joy, I guess. (laughs) Which is always a good sign. It's always a good starter. Ugh, joy. I was in a low place. I I wasn't having much joy at all. This, by the way, is how my life works. Be grateful you're not a preacher because whatever you have to preach on, you have to go through first. And so if I'm going to preach on joy, you have to go through not joy. So the watermelon moments are great. They're awesome. They're appreciated. They're easy. But it's the satellite moments, the low moments that are so difficult. These are the moments where we need to seek joy all the more because this is where it's the most needed. And I I think what's great about the scripture, what I love about the scripture is that it's filled with stories and people and situations that people have gone through where we get to see the difficulties and the struggles that they went through and then what allowed them, what led them to experience joy in the middle of it. How did they find joy in the frustration? Is it even possible to experience joy when going into some sort of satellite moment? At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, Matthew chapter five, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in, the, in heaven. For in the, same way they in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus tells his followers, who are already being persecuted by the Roman Empire, that following him would actually lead to more difficulties. But as you go through these difficulties... Rejoice and be glad because you know that no matter what you're facing, there is something greater that is beyond. There's something greater that awaits. It's kind of like he's trying to give them this perspective that when you know there is something good beyond the moment that you're in, you're able to bring that good into the now. And as you bring that good into the now, it allows you to have this bit of joy in the middle of difficulty. We actually see this played out, I think, in Acts chapter 13. (coughs) Luke writes this. The word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So it says the Jewish leaders are stirring up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. This, by the way, provides an interesting point of discussion. We're not going to get into this today, but you could like take this and talk about it if you want to, just for fun. That the Jewish leaders are essentially fear-mongering. And the people that they're going after, the people that they're trying to stir up, are the religious, well-to-do people. Some potential for some modern social social political commentary We're not going to talk about that. What we see is exactly what Jesus talked about, that his followers are going to be falsely accused, that trouble would come their way, and in the difficulty, they would rejoice and be glad. And then what does it say happened with Paul and Barnabas? They were being persecuted. They were being accused falsely. 
and yet they were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. What we see happening in Acts is exactly what Jesus said would happen. There's this thought here that you may be going through some difficult stuff. You may be having the satellite moment, but when you keep in mind the greater things, the things that are beyond, the things that are waiting, the things that are important, it allows you to experience joy in the now. It allows for a bit of a tail wag. It might not be the full-on wagging of the tail, Maybe a bit more somber, a bit more sober, but it's a wag nonetheless. I think what I appreciate about all this, what I appreciate about all these stories and what they pointed out in the video is that this isn't just like a cheap sort of ignorance is bliss sort of mentality. This isn't just sweeping everything under the rug and pretending everything's okay even when everything's not okay. This isn't about being or pretending that what you're going through isn't a big deal. This isn't about ignoring or suppressing like your sorrow or your hurt or your pain. This is about acknowledging the difficulty. This is about owning the satellite that you're wearing or going through. Yes, I'm a mess. Yes, things are, I'm in a slow place. Yes, I'm really struggling. This is about walking through the difficulty in a more healthy way. Jesus is up front with his followers. Yeah, it's going to be tough, but you can still experience the joy. You can still experience joy now. There's never a denial of the difficulty. It's always addressed with the understanding that joy is not determined by your circumstances. Joy transcends circumstances. But it's also something that you must choose. Not with a sense of like ignorance at what you're dealing with and what you're going through, but rather along with the things that you're going through and dealing with. I choose this in the middle of the difficulty. So in our production meeting, when Joe says, Seth, what are we talking about this week? And I say, uh, joy. I was not choosing joy. I was allowing my circumstances to determine my state of being. I was choosing to wallow in my mess because that's where I was at. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, (coughs) we would admit that a lot of times that's the easier path, isn't it? It's a lot easier just to be in in the mess rather than to choose to do something different. I think Paul gives us a good example and does a good job of addressing his satellites and then at the same time choosing joy. I want to look at a couple of verses from Philippians, Philippians chapter one. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, by the way, he's in prison, he's in chains, possibly awaiting to be executed, and he writes this to the church in Philippi. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provisions of the spirit of Jesus Christ, What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, 
but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 25. I didn't send that one in. We're gonna stop there. <clears throat> oh, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So he's in prison, he's facing death, and even in this moment, mo- moment he chooses joy. He's rejoicing because the message of Jesus is continuing to go out. He's rejoicing because he believes there's something good will come out of this. He's rejoicing because he's anticipating like God's promises, the future, the future redemption of all things. In prison, facing death would be a really hard place to choose joy, wouldn't it? To me, it seems like the kind of place I would just kind of wallow in my circumstances, throw a pity party for myself, right? Like with all sincerity, if this had happened to, to, to me, I would, I'd be upset about it. It would be much easier for, for, to make the whole situation about the self, Oh, this stinks. I can't believe this is happening. Where is God in the middle of this? Why is this? No good can come from this. My world is falling apart. And yet he chooses joy. Again, it's almost like this whole thing is about perspective. It's not ignoring the difficulty, not ignoring the thing that you're going through. You address it and you acknowledge it, but you choose to live in this different perspective. And when you change your perspective about it, it seems to open the door to all kinds of other possibilities. It opens the door to walking through that experience with a different frame of mind, with a different mindset, with a different approach. In 2 Corinthians, we see Paul addressing all the difficulties he's been through. And we see how he still chooses to trust. To trust that because of the love of God and the power of God, And because of the life of Christ, he believes that his hardships are not the final word. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. In purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love. In truthful speech, and in power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Through the glory and dishonor, bad report and good report. Genuine, yet regarded as imposters. Known, yet regarded as unknown. Dying, and yet we live on. Beaten, and yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. Paul's ability to experience joy is not determined by his circumstances. It's not determined by the struggles. He acknowledges it, and yet he chooses to see through, through his difficulties through a different perspective. He understands that the ultimate source of his being is found in the love and the promises of God. He says, it's like being sorrowful, I'm sorrowful, but yet always rejoicing, poor but making many rich. And he's not talking about finances here. He's talking about how the things that he's giving to people, this gospel, this good news, I have nothing, 
but yet possess everything. I have nothing, yet I possess everything. I think it's this kind of perspective that allows him, that allows us to walk through the hardship, to go through our satellite moments, and to still have a bit of a wag. You know, the past several weeks, I've found myself having these various conversations with various people, and so much of it always seems to come back to, like, our perspective. What I've noticed through these conversations, and even, even with myself, is that it's really easy for us to get wrapped up in our own little worlds, get wrapped up in whatever it is we're going through. And then whatever it is we're going through, that becomes the only thing that we can see. It becomes front and center in our lives. It's the mountain that we're trying to climb, and that's all that we're focused on. And we get so focused on a thing that it's really hard to see anything else. You're going through financial difficulties, it's really difficult to see anything else. You have relationship issues somewhere, someplace in your life, it can be really difficult to see something else. You're going through some sort of medical situation, it can be really difficult to see things beyond that. And if we're not careful, we can allow those things to take center stage of our life, and they can become all-consuming. And so, of course, we want to pray over those things. Of course, we want to offer those things to God, put them in his hands. But also, sometimes, I think just having a little perspective is super helpful. It's not that the problem or the hurt or the issue is any less. It's just that now you have the ability to put it in its proper place in your life. It's like when my kids start fighting over stuff. My kids fight over the dumbest things. They fight over like popsicles. Like, what are you doing? Like, we'll have a bag of like 100 freeze pops and they'll fight over freeze pops. And I'm like, what are you doing? What, what is wrong with you? Inevitably, somebody takes one that somebody wants and then somebody calls a name and gets their feelings hurt and now we're whining. I'm like, it was just freeze pops. Right? So as a dad, I have to address the frustration, the, the thing that's happening. I have to address the tension. Sometimes I do this right. A lot of times I don't. If I'm out of patience on that particular day, I probably don't address it right. Because all I want in that moment is for it to stop. Right? Like, stop this. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Just get a popsicle. It's just a popsicle. Let's move on. Stop them. But when I do it right... I slow down a little bit, I take the time a little bit, I address the hurt and the issue, right? Oh, what's the matter, buddy? Oh, well, I wanted this popsicle, and they took that popsicle, and then she called me a name, and oh, man, that really stinks. I'm sorry she did that. I'll have to talk to her about her language or whatever. Which one did you want? Well, I wanted the red one. She took the red one, and then that's why she did the... Okay, okay, let me show you something. Let me show you something. There's still like 90 popsicles left. 20 of them are red. We can get another one. Or shoot, we got ice cream. If you want ice cream, you get ice cream instead. I don't care. Like, it's fine. Here you go. Right? And, and what I want to do is, like, I'm trying to give them this perspective. But sometimes what I want to do that I don't do that I think I should do at some point is, like, I want to, like, expand this a little bit farther for him. Like, to help him see, but I don't think he'll get it just yet, but I just want to expand it a little bit. Like, Okay, think about what you're fighting over. What is it? It's a popsicle. Okay, good. What is a popsicle? Well, usually, like, a popsicle is, like, some sort of dessert. What is a dessert? What does it mean to have dessert? Well, it means you already ate a meal. In fact, you actually ate three meals today. In fact, you had, like, snacks in between the three meals today before you had this dessert. 
And on top of that, like you live in this house and you have all these clothes and you have these parents that love and care for you and really want to be with you. And there's some families and people in the world that don't have houses and food and clothes and some people that, don't, that struggle to eat each day and you're complaining about this dessert, about not getting the one that you wanted even though there's still 90 left. Like we are really, 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 really fortunate. And I know he, he's not ready for that. I know he doesn't have this larger perspective yet. But if I could just get him to see at some point what I see, right? hopefully what he would see is that that thing that he was dealing with in that moment isn't such a big deal. Like on the grand scale of things, like it was just not that big a deal. And this isn't about minimizing his hurt or his pain or your hurt or our pain. It's about putting that hurt and that pain in the proper place. It's about putting that frustration in its proper place. Yes, it's frustrating, but it doesn't need to be all-consuming. It doesn't need to be the center of my life. As a father, I can see this about his problems. It's a bit more difficult when it comes to my own, though, sometimes. One of the things that actually has helped me this past couple weeks, which is, keeps coming up because of these conversations I keep having about perspective, and, and this keeps, I keep talking about this because I think it's fascinating. I think it's a really simple and great illustration to keep in mind. By now, you've seen uh, all the images from the new James Hubble, James Hubble, James Webb Telescope. Yeah, you're familiar with these? Yeah, let me show you photo number three. I'm sure you've seen this. It's pretty great, pretty, pretty incredible. Uh, the Hubble took a, uh, the same photo. This one is new from the new James Webb. There's thousands Thousands of galaxies in here. You can see some of these, like the spiral galaxies that are hanging out in here, some of them. Like, it's so fascinating to me, all this stuff. One of the ways that the scientists have tried to give us perspective <clears throat> about where this is, this, this photo that contains thousands and thousands of galaxies, is they said that if you, and you've probably heard this as well, but they said if you take like a grain of sand and put it on your finger and then lift that up into the night sky and then look behind that grain of sand, that grain of sand could potentially block out where that photo is in our night sky. Like it's wild that behind a grain of sand looking up into the night sky could be thousands upon thousands of other galaxies. Like how big is this place? It's absolutely amazing. How big is our universe? How many billions of galaxies would you block out if you like held up a sheet of paper into the night sky? Just a sheet of paper. So on the grand scale of the universe, we're very, very small. Right? We, we live in one universe amongst an infinite number of universes in our galaxy. And in our galaxy, uh, in, in, our, in our galaxy, in our solar system, we are one of like anywhere from, they estimate between 10 and 100 billion solar systems in our galaxy alone. And in our solar system, we live on one of the eight planets. And on our planet, we live in like one of the, what is it, seven, six continents, seven continents. And on our continent, we live in like one of the many countries in our country, we live in one of the 50 states. And in our state, we live in one in the thousands of cities. And in our cities, we are one of thousands of people. Right? When we compare 
our lives and our problems, when we put our lives and our problems against the backdrop of the universe, we are one person in a city of thousands, in a city that is a thousand, that is a part of thousands of cities, that is in a state, that is a part of this country, that is a part of this continent, that is a part of this world, that is one of eight in our solar system, that is one solar system amongst billions of solar systems in our one galaxy, which is one galaxy amongst countless number of other galaxies in the universe. Is it really that big a deal that he didn't put the toilet paper roll back in? (laughs) Is it really that big a deal that they said that mean or nasty thing is it really a bigger deal that things didn't go your way, right? I'm not trying to minimize or undermine or, 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 or shrink your hurt here. We all have these satellite moments. We all have the hurt and the pain and the frustration, the sorrow that comes with that. We're not ignoring that. We're acknowledging it. But we want to operate with this larger perspective so that we can put that frustration, that hurt, that issue into its proper place within our lives so that we do not allow our circumstances to determine our ability to experience joy. And while we're at it, if you believe in a God who created and sustains a universe that is beyond our ability to comprehend the sheer magnitude, if you believe in the God who created our world that sits within the solar system that's one of billions in the galaxies in one galaxy of billions of... If you believe he can do all that then I'm pretty sure like whatever you're going through, he can handle that as well. You see, biblical joy is the attitude we adopt, not because of a happy circumstance, but because of our hope and our trust in the promises of God. Biblical joy is a choice that we make to anticipate the future (coughs) of redemption of all things that we anticipate the redemption of all things as we trust the same God who created and sustains the universe that is beyond our ability to possibly comprehend it. That thing that you're dealing with today that you're going through, it's not the end. It's not the final word. The love of God is the final word. And God has promised to redeem and restore all things. So in our satellite moments, We take those and we put them in their proper place so that we can allow for joy to become our present reality. James chapter one says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, so that you may have everything, so that you may have joy in the middle of the difficulty.
joy is sometimes really hard um, for us. And sometimes going into this moment of communion, joy feels kind of strange. Because this is a moment for us to remember Jesus and everything that Jesus went through, his whole life, his ministry, which led to this moment on the cross, this moment of pain, this moment of suffering, this moment of a lot of hardship uh, and struggle. And it sometimes leaves leaves this moment so somber, um, so palpable, so difficult to get through sometimes. And so when we, we go through and we talk about joy and we end in a moment like this, it sometimes feels disconnected. But I think one of the amazing things is that when we look at all of Scripture as a whole, we look at it starting in this garden of goodness, this garden of flourishing, where God is nourishing the land, where God is nourishing humanity, where God is walking with us. And then at the very end of this narrative that is laid out for us, we see humanity and God together again in this beautiful city with the tree of life, water flowing from the throne of God, nurturing humanity and the world. And we see that this, this is where the story ends with goodness and joy and love and presence with God. And we see that starting now that some of the joy in our sufferings is Jesus saying, with my life, with my ministry, and even with my resurrection, this joy, this goodness that I am promising will begin now. I will begin to make a better you and a better world, even in the midst of all the suffering, all the hardship, everything that's going on in your life. I have been through it and I will walk with you, and I will bring goodness there. So as we move into this time of communion, this time of remembering, this is not just a time for us to remember that moment of Jesus on the cross, but a time to remember the open grave, a time to remember the healing of the blind and the sick, the bringing in of the barge and rise, the goodness of the life of Jesus. And we're sitting around tables. There are a communion at each of the tables here. If you're online watching and joining us there, feel free to grab whatever elements that you have available and join us in this time of communion. We're actually going to pray, have someone at each of your tables pray over the communion and take it together. We have prayer partners who would be happy to pray with you during, if there's something that you're struggling with or if there's something that you want to share that's either weighing on you or bringing you joy. Uh, Scott uh, will be, Kane will be over here and Helene will be over by the prayer wall. Uh, they would love to talk with you, to pray with you, whatever you need. Uh, if you're joining us online, you can type into the chat that you uh, need prayer or want to talk to someone. We have uh, people that are available for you.
So if you want to go ahead and turn now to the people at your table and take a moment to join our, our heavenly creator in community with one another. Thanks so much again for joining us here on the Foundry Church Podcast. As we wrap up today, a couple of other things we want you to know. Hey, if you want to learn more about our community and what it means when we say things like better you, better world, and reclaiming God's intended reality, we would love for you to head to our website. You can find that in the show notes, or you can visit us at thefoundry.org. And if you want to reach out to us, we would love to hear your thoughts, hear your commentary, hear anything that you would like to say. You can send us an email, info at thefoundryc.org. We would love to be able to hear from you if this message touched you or reached you or if you're in need of prayer. That's a great way to reach out to our staff, our team here at the Foundry Church. We're grateful that you guys are here. Thanks so much for tuning in. And if you really liked it and if you really enjoyed it, a rating or a share would mean a lot to us as we continue to try to expand our community, our mission, and our vision. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoy it. And again, for all of us here at the Foundry Church, my name is Hank Taylor, the digital pastor here at the Foundry, and we'll see you next time on the Foundry Church Podcast. Take care.